I had a dream. It was a real dream. It wasn't a dream like Martin Luther King had. I had an actual dream that I awakened from. I had entered what was once been a hospital emergency room, a trauma center. In days gone by, this trauma center had treated the most serious illnesses, the most critical cases. People with gunshot wounds, broken bones, heart attacks, auto accident victims. People that were so sick that without immediate attention, immediate intervention, their lives would end. But something had happened to this trauma center. Over the years, as the sick and dying continued to pour in, there became fewer and fewer staff to care for the critically injured. The equipment became old and obsolete. The shortage of staff combined with obsolete care soon began to undermine the center's ability to care for the critically ill. It didn't happen overnight, but over time, things changed. People began to stop coming to this trauma center. The staff deserted until finally there was no one left. The emergency room I saw in my dream had peeling paint, antique equipment, absolutely no medical personnel. There were some sick there, some chronic cases of illness waiting to be treated, but no one was there to help. It was an atmosphere of sickness, hopelessness, and death. A trauma center has been. What a tragedy, a, a vital, living, fully functioning trauma center, now itself dead and gone. I believe that, am I in the monitors? I'm getting some, some feedback. I believe that many churches today are like that trauma center. At one time in their heyday, people were pouring in, people with needs, wounded, sick, and critically ill. People in desperate need of spiritual help. And slowly over time, they lost their sense of mission or passion or vision. And the workers left. A has-been. Well, God has called his church, Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, to be a trauma center. We're not a social club. We are to be an emergency room where wounded people can have their lives restored, where they can be saved. Today, we're going to look at engaging culture and changing lives. As we look at a passage in the life of Jesus, as we continue our series in the life of Jesus, Matthew 9, we're going to read just three verses out of Matthew 9 today. Verses 35 to 38. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. It's on page 790 in the Bible in front of you. Also be on the projection. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As Jesus ministered life to people of his day, so too we as a church are also called to minister to our world. What, what do we learn from this account? What does Jesus say to them and to us today? First of all, probably the most obvious and neat is that people have needs. People have needs. The fact that people have needs seems to be obvious, but take into account the fact that we are trained at a very early age to hide our needs, to deny our needs, or see needs as a sign of weakness. People around us have spent a lifetime disguising their needs, hiding their hurts. Our goal seems to be to convince everyone that everything's all well, everything's good. When in reality, many people are experiencing challenges far beyond their ability to cope. We just, we don't want anyone to know. Sometimes we need a reminder that people have needs. They have needs. Now the crowd around Jesus was probably a mixture of curiosity seekers, doubters, those that were interested. Some were sick. This probably included every kind of person, every class, every profession, every position, every background, every social status and culture. Jesus engaged the culture because they had one thing in common. They all had needs. There are three, three word pictures describing their needs. All describe sheep. They describe sheep. The first one is harassed. Harassed or distressed. It's wounded or having skin torn. This is a description of sheep that have wandered through thorns and brambles or rocks. Behind our house in Seattle, we have a green belt with nice trees and one area that's just full of lots of blackberry bushes. Okay? Blackberry bushes are the most annoying weed in Washington state. Now, three years after moving into our house, the blackberries behind our fence were out of control. They were coming over the fence, they were coming under the fence, and I could just have this picture of blackberries coming in, overtaking the house and covering our house. That was in my mind. I said, this happened in three years. It's crazy. So one day I said, I've got to take care of it. So I spent three hours one day. May not sound like a lot of time for you, but spent three hours just cutting back blackberry bushes from the stalks up. Now, if you've worked with blackberries, you know how horrible those thorns are. When I finished... My arms and legs were scratched up and bleeding. Couldn't believe it. Well, the, the, the word harassed or distressed in this passage gives us a picture of that very thing. Sheep whose skin is flayed or torn from thorns or, or rocks are mangled and bleeding from an attack by a wild animal. Wounded, bleeding, and in pain. How many people do you know who are cut and torn by life's circumstances. They're, they're just wounded. They're wounded. They're, they've had their lives torn apart. They're bleeding and in pain. And maybe you're here this morning or listening online, and you know, too, maybe you're experiencing that woundedness. Life has been unkind. People 
have needs. People are wounded and in pain. Remember that. Secondly, the second word that describes people is helpless. Helpless. They, it, it's downcast. There's a epimenoi, which is a Greek word that talks about being downcast. I mean that, that these people are thrown down prone or they're exhausted. This word is a description of what happens to sheep when they have a full coat of wool before they're sheared. If you, if you know anything about sheep, when they're their coat is full before they're sheared. The coat can be so heavy, they fall down and they can't get up. They just can't get up. And they don't have the medical device that says, help, I've fallen down and can't get up. You know, you can't call the operator. They're, they're down. They, they literally cannot get up. That's the word, picture here. Downcast. Heavy, tired, exhausted. They're basically helpless. And I don't know how many people you know who are just worn out. When I talk to people, particularly over the last three years, what we've gone through as a nation, the the political, the health, all the issues that we've been through, all the conflict that's been in families, one side of the politics or the other, one side of the, the masks or the other, the vaccine, whatever. There's been so much division and so much pain that has been caused by the circumstances. And people are exhausted. They're tired. They're worn out. Maybe some of you here today can identify with that. The third word picture describing people's needs is leaderless, which means they're without a shepherd, without a shepherd. And we, we are, as people of God, we are compared to sheep. I'm not always crazy about that comparison, but the comparison of people to sheep is not accidental, nor is it incidental. Now, just so you know, sheep have been called the dumbest of all animals. They're not dumb, okay? Sheep are not the dumbest of all animals. They just need the most care, okay? They need to be led where to eat, They need to be protected from animals, from the weather. They're smart enough to recognize the the voice of their shepherd, all the kinds of things that that we know about sheep. They need to be protected. Sheep get spooked trying to drink from fast-running streams. And they have a herd mentality. They're easily confused. I know that didn't describe us at all, I know. Easily confused. They're helpless in that they, when their wool grows, they... They fall down and need help. They need someone else to share their wool coat. The picture here is of people, as Jesus looks at these people, they're wounded, helpless, and they're without leadership. There's no one to help relieve the pain, no one to help them get up, no one to lead or protect them. People who come to the trauma center or people can't even get to the trauma center And Jesus saw these people. Now, Jesus saw the crowds, but he also saw individuals in the crowd. As Jesus looks over us today here at Eau Claire Wesleyan, he doesn't just see a crowd. You know, we kind of blend in. We kind of think, you know, I'm just one of the crowd. Jesus sees individuals, individual hearts, every one of us with our dreams and aspirations, our our goals, our wounds and our hurts and needs. And he also looks over the city of Eau Claire, the Chippewa Valley, and sees 
every heart, every hurt, every pain, every doubt, every fear. He sees it all. Jesus sees the needs, and he calls on us to see the needs. He says, I want you to see the needs. Then Jesus, number two, Jesus engaged the people's needs. He engaged the people's needs. He did this three ways. First of all, by teaching. Teaching. He brought truth to their, to their life. He challenged the ideas of the culture. We are in a battle, and I talk about this all the time. We're in an incredible battle for truth. There's so much misinformation out there, and we desperately need truth based on the Word of God, the Bible. And if necessary, in science, whatever it is. But we need truth that defines our reality. And Jesus taught the truth. People need the truth. Then he preached. And when it says he preached, it means he told the good news of the kingdom, that God loves you, God knows, God cares. This is the news of of the communion, that Jesus died for you. God has a plan for you. God wants you to be restored in relationship with him. The whole of the Bible is God seeking to restore the lost relationship with his creation, seeking for people. That's preaching, God's love, God's restoration. And then healing. He got involved by touching people. He touched people. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. God has endowed the body of Christ, that's you, his people, with the gifts of healing, where we pray and he heals. Many of you have experienced God's healing, healing touch, his intervention. We have a prayer request line. It's it's on text or phone. I hope all of you are on it. If you aren't on it, email the church office and get on it because we believe that God answers prayer. We, We wouldn't waste our time if we didn't do that. We believe he answers prayer for healing. Then in verse 36, Jesus, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, compassion is not just feeling sorry for. It's not just feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is empathy with a deep desire to relieve the suffering. Compassion is empathy with a deep desire to relieve the suffering. That's what he had. That's what he calls us to, a desire to relieve the suffering. It includes empathy, which is an identification with them. To feel sorry for can be passive. Oh, I feel sorry for you. That's passive. Compassion is active. It's an active word. It's in the active sense, a passion to relieve the suffering. That's what Jesus did. That's who he was. That's who he is today. That's who we are by his strength and power today. What did Jesus want to do? He wanted to take, first of all, physical needs. These are needs on the surface. Anybody could see the physical needs. People that were sick, they were blind, they were lame, they were crippled, they were lepers. These are the most obvious signs of need. And Jesus engaged the people seeking to relieve suffering. And we can look around us and we can see a lot of those physical needs. It's very real. But deeper still, he didn't see just the physical needs. 
He saw emotional needs, emotional needs, the hurts of life, people who've lost a loved one, been abused as a child, maybe experienced marital unfaithfulness, conflict in a marriage, problems with kids, challenges with parents, spousal abuse, depression, peer pressure. You can go on and on. There are so many things that people suffer from, and Jesus saw all of those, the deeper needs. These needs are just as real as physical needs. They're just not apparent. They're not apparent. We hide them really well. Jesus engaged his culture at this level. These needs are easier to hide under the veneer of, I'm okay, and people around us have these kinds of severe pains and suffering, emotional needs. Jesus cares about those needs. If you are experiencing it, or you know someone who is. And Jesus took action to relieve the suffering. But deep, deepest of all were the spiritual spiritual needs. Empty lives. People who were, were oppressed by satanic or occult forces. Demonized or demon-possessed. Very real then, very real now. A lot of people are dealing with these kinds of spiritual things. It might be addictions like pornography or sex or alcohol or drugs. Needs that are so deep that the only solution is a spiritual solution. And of course, not to be simplistic, but all of our needs, all of the issues, all the problems in our world have a spiritual root. It's, it's a spiritual issue. Maybe it's an emptiness that just can't be filled or just won't go away, a feeling all is not right. People that say, you know, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. Maybe life seems to be going well, but it's lost its meaning. There's no direction or no purpose. I've shared this story about a football coach named Dave Wanstead. Some of you may know who that is. And this story was placed when he was an assistant coach of the Miami Hurricane football team. And a good friend of ours, Steve, was the chaplain of that team. And he, he worked with the Campus Crusade for many years, working with athletic teams. And, and, and so he would do chapels, and he would share Christ, and he would disciple people. And one day, Dave Wanstead called him and said, can we have lunch? He said, sure. He had never really spoken with Dave. So they met for lunch, and they got the preliminaries out of the way. And then, then they got down to business. Dave said, you know... He gave him a list of all his accomplishments. He was a very accomplished coach. His success, the fact that the Miami Hurricanes then were nationally ranked. He said, I make great money. I got this great family. He said, I've got all this stuff in my life. Everything looks incredible. It's going well. He said, but there's a big hole in my life. He said, do you think it could have anything to do with God? <laughs> he said, I could have driven a Mack truck through that answer. He said, yes, everything's going well. Sometimes people just get to a point where they say, my life is empty. They're successful. Everything's going well. And, and we look at people through the eyes of some of that, and we don't see the need, true need. And we need to ask Jesus, Jesus, show me what this person is dealing with. And if they're empty and desperate for Jesus, let me know. I need to tell them about Jesus. 
If you're not sure what those needs are, he will help us discover. Those of us who have found the spiritual healing in life need to pray that we would see people as Jesus sees them. You know, all the facades, all the things that we have, that we set up in front of people and say, Jesus, let me see this person as you see them. I, I, I can't cut through all of this, but Jesus, you can. Spiritual needs are the most difficult to see and the easiest to hide. But they are more real and more foundational to our life and purpose than any other needs. Jesus engaged people at this level. John 6.35, Jesus declared, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. In John 7, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, 10, very well-known passage, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Needs, spiritual needs. When Jesus moves from animal husbandry, which they understood really well, to grain farming in this story. He moves to grain farming. He uses an illustration from agriculture to teach truth. In verses 37 and 38, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Where's he going with this? People have needs. People, Jesus engaged them. And he's saying, number three, people are ready for Jesus. People are ready for Jesus. They want to be engaged by Jesus and by us. When people see their needs, they realize they don't have the capacity to fill those needs. They begin to look outside themselves to fill those needs. And all of those needs can be met by Jesus. Expect. Expect Jesus. When people are ready and aware, Jesus says they're ready to harvest. They're ready to harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful. The potential is incredible. In other words, there are a lot of people ready for Jesus. Not everybody's going to be ripe. Okay? Not everybody's going to be ready. And if they're not, don't try to harvest them yet. Don't try. Some people don't want to hear anything yet. But there are people that have needs. They recognize their needs. And they're ready. They're ripe for harvest. Say, Jesus, tell me who they are. There are no shortage of people who want to hear about Jesus. They're ready, they're aware, and they need to go to a trauma center. They're aware. The key is they're aware of their need. How many of you know what a gallbladder is? Okay, good. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, we're not keeping track. Um, how many of you know what a gallbladder does? Okay, some of you know what it does. It's like a turbocharger to break down fat in the stomach. That's what I hurt. Um, I would ask who still has their gallbladder, but I won't embarrass anybody on that. Uh, gallbladder is kind of like an appendix. You can live fine without a gallbladder. Okay. Well, in 1993, way back in the last century, 
I began to have severe pain in my abdominal area. The pain would come on me without warning, different places. And it was so severe, I couldn't function. One time I made Judy take me to the hospital. I, I made her run a red light, I confess. I said, I got to get there. And I got to the hospital, and I, all I could do was curl up in a fetal position underneath the counter where the, you know, they're taking your name and insurance. And, and I, was, I was literally in agony. And the gal, I'm sure she sees a lot of drama. She just leaned over and says, what's the matter? Aren't you feeling well? <laughs> I, I was ticked, but that's OK. I was very aware of my physical pain, my need for relief. And I went to the trauma center for help. And of course, eventually, I had my gallbladder removed, my pain was gone, etc. Well, when you're in pain, you're aware of a need. And I don't know what that pain might be in other people's life or your life. People need to be aware of their pain. They need to be aware of it. And if people are not aware, they're not ripe. That's okay. If they're not aware of their need, you know, you run into people all day, everything's going great, they don't have any problems, and, and as you probe, no, they're not ready. That's okay. We need to minister life to people who are ripe. They're aware of their need. And he says people are. He says the harvest fields are ripe. They're, they're white to harvest. They're open and receptive. They want to hear. Jesus said people are ready. The question is, are we? Are we ready? Are we? Is the church ready to be a trauma center? Are we aware of the needs of people so we can point them to Jesus? Expect Jesus. How do we do that? Expect him every morning when we wake up. Expect Jesus every time you pray. Expect Jesus every time you open the Bible to read. Expect Jesus every time you come together as a believers. Expect Jesus. And expect Jesus to prepare people. To prepare people. Expect Jesus. Are we ready? People are ready. Are we ready? Sadly or not, many are not. He says the challenge is great. There's lots of work, lots of work, but a shortage of workers. Now, I don't want to put a guilt trip on people. Many people have just been barely coping the last three years. I'm aware of that. And I don't want to say, okay, come on now, let's get, it's, it's like, in our woundedness, sometimes we need healing first. The workers are few. The harvest is ripe. And the question is, can we? Can we move forward? The harvest is ready. There's a shortage of harvesters. What field are you in? What trauma center are you attached to? Now, if you're like me, and most people, you say, well, you know what? I can't do that. Good. I can't either. Finally, power is available. What does Jesus ask us to do? What does Jesus ask us to do here? What do you ask his people? He said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask. Ask God. He doesn't say, recruit, start programs, start ministries, find out what other churches are doing that's working, and let's go do that. That's not what he says. He says, pray. 
praying. Prayer isn't part of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer is what accomplishes the task and sends out the workers. Praying. We have in our philosophy of ministry prayer as the number one priority. And I would encourage you, many of you pray a lot. And I would just ask you to continue to pray. And pray that God will send out workers into his harvest field. Pray that God would equip you to reach out to people that desperately need Jesus. If we're, if we're the trauma center, if we're the trauma center, our purpose is to bring healing to people that have needs. That's why we're here. We're here for fellowship. We're here to grow. We're here to be healed ourselves. We're all of those things. But say, God, what can we do? And start by praying. Pray God will provide workers for our trauma center. Pray people will see their needs. Pray that people will discover this trauma center and come to receive healing from Jesus. And then expect Jesus, expect Jesus to answer. It's novel. It's novel. I pray all the time. Well, expect. There's an, a sense of expect, expect. Expectancy is the essence of faith. To say, God, I'm going to expect you to answer. Not because I'm super spiritual, not because I'm a giant Christian, not because I'm this and I deserve it. No, because the needs are great. And I'm praying that you would use us to harvest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a picture of what's, what's happening around us. Father, I know that it's, it's intimidating many times. And we say, I don't know what I can do. But I know that all of us can pray. All of us have the ability to pray and then say, God, make me available. We have contact with many people who are, are in that hurting state. They're like those sheep that are they're wounded and bleeding and lost. And I just pray, God, that you would envision us. And many times, God, it's out of our own personal pain and experience that you minister life to someone else that's going through the same or similar experience. And I pray, God, that we would look to you and ask you to move through us to minister life to those that desperately need Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name.